this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up, French President Macron makes his way over to PNG. Also, so I feel like it's sort of sad that we've forgotten that strong connection. A new documentary exploring Rarotonga's mountains was screened for Cook Islands Language Week. And later, one of the major advantages is, is our people skills. In business, we look at how Fiji is fast becoming the preferred destination for outsourcing. The Papua New Guinea government can be expected to sign a security agreement with France when President Emmanuel Macron visits Port Moresby this week. That's the view of University of PNG political scientist Michael Kabuni, who says he expects something similar to the deal signed with the United States in May. He spoke with Don Wiseman about the historic visit. We've had this remarkable situation where in the last two or three months, a significant number of the leaders of the <laughs> the senior leaders of the free world have been visiting Pacific countries, particularly Papua New Guinea. We've had Indonesia, of course. We've had the US, we've had the Indian Prime Minister, and this coming week we've got the French President. What's changed? What's happening here? It's more like a scramble for the Pacific all over again with new players in Indonesia, India. But the France one is interesting because France is the only country to have a, a military presence in the Pacific, but it's not as popular as the United States, Australia. And even, even the UK, who don't have a territory in the region or military in the region. And the French president's visit to Papua New Guinea will be the first outside of French territories in the Pacific. So that itself is an interesting point. But France has missed out on a lot. So France is not part of the uh, AUKUS deal or agreement between the United States Great Britain and Australia. Uh, France is not part of the Quad. France refused to be part of what they call the partners for the Blue Pacific. So France is isolated in the region in some aspect. The French president did meet with a U.S. president late in December. And among other things, they agreed on preventing militarization of the Pacific, uh, maintaining rule-based order in the Pacific, and stability in the Pacific, which is ironic in a sense because France is the only country with military presence in the Pacific and U.S. is heavily involved in militarizing the region. So what's changed? Then you can put that down to China. You wouldn't see this much interest in the Pacific and especially PNG if it wasn't for China. So you bring out China, put China on the table, checkbooks comes out, you put China on the table, you got a military presence. China is kind of this phrase that you use to draw resources or interest in the region. Why particularly PNG, though? Is it its physical position in the Pacific or its size and growing population? Yeah, it's a variety of reasons. Papua New Guinea is not only an important member of the regional institutions like PIF, MSG, Melanesian Spear Group, uh, Pacific Islands Forum, but it's a dominant player in a sense, uh, only rivaled by Fiji. So, for instance, we just talked about France. The French territories of French Polynesia, New Caledonia and Wallis and Fortuna are not part of the regional organizations. So there is interest for France to try to go through this, its uh, regional territories and try to gain a foothold in the Pacific outside of 
its own territories. And Papua New Guinea is strategically positioned, not only its place on the map, but its position within the region uh, as, as a big brother to Melanesian countries and, and a very important player, along with Fiji, within the regional organizations and, and set up in the region. Uh, but also the economy it's, it's one of the biggest or the biggest economy. Uh, per capita wise, it might be less than Fiji, but it's, it's the biggest economy in the region. Natural resources, you got France company, one of the biggest, trying to operate a liquidified natural gas in Papua New Guinea, total PNG. So that's, that's interest for France, uh, economic interest in, in Papua New Guinea is growing. Uh, United States, of course, ExxonMobil uh, in Papua New Guinea. So everything from commercial to strategic to leadership within regional countries. Papua New Guinea is at the top. So you've got multinational companies from France and United States and Australia operating in Papua New Guinea. So commercial interest, you can argue it's one of the reasons, but it's also strategically positioned as a buffer zone between Australia and Asia. Uh, historically played a very important role during the war, Second World War. So all of these factors puts Papua New Guinea relative to other Pacific Island countries as a, a prime uh, location, a prime real estate uh, for these countries. It's sort of becoming uh, the Ukraine of the South Pacific. As a yeah, it's kind of. And I mean, when you think of it, it comes with risks. Of course, you can use Ukraine as an example. NATO and Russia basically fighting their war in Ukraine. And you can say it's a Ukrainian war. But what happens when two elephants fight? It's the grass that suffers, right? And in the Pacific, there is intense interest, intensified interest in Papua New Guinea. But it also comes with risk. Historically, uh, so many Papua New Guineans lost their lives in Second World War in a war that wasn't theirs. They were recruited, sometimes forced to participate as carriers. But just yesterday, Papua New Guinea celebrated its Remembrance Day remembering Papua New Guineans that participated in the war in different forms, but also left so much trauma to the young kids that were born and were growing during the war, disrupted so many things. And one of the things about this intense competition is the disruption that it brings. It disrupts the politics of the country. The Solomon Islands is a good example of the rumors that uh, both China and United States on the other end with Australia were supporting different factions. And that can become very destabilizing, uh, especially if you are trying to get political support. You can play the politicians against each other in a country. And then that, that becomes very disruptive. And this is, you know, it's not just an assumption of what might happen. It happened in the Middle East. It happened around other countries. It even happened in Ukraine in the first conflict. So, yeah, so the intense interest comes with opportunities and resources, but it has a disruptive potential, and that's that's a risk. What do you envisage coming out of this meeting with Macron and Merape? Well, we'll have to see after this visit and whatever the announcements comes out. I'm thinking it's going to be along the lines of what the United States did, and which is sign the defense cooperation agreement, but push the narrative that it was for the benefit of Papua New Guinea to secure its extensive, exclusive economic zone to prevent drug and transnational crimes passing through Papua New Guinean waters, preventing illegal and un unregulated fishing in the region and strengthening the capacity of law enforcement agencies. And France in the region, as, as the military to support law enforcement agencies, already got a standing military of some sort so they've got the military in their territories, three territories in the region so that could be used to support not only law enforcement agencies and 
regional cooperation in fighting transnational crimes and illegal fishing, but disaster response. So France has the capacity to respond. They actually have military vessels with a capacity to deploy at a very short notice in the Pacific. I think apart from Australia, France is the next country with that capacity. And they could use that potential to respond to uh, natural disasters in the region, uh, which has become a frequent occurrence in the last couple of years. And Papua New Guinea has been experiencing devastating earthquakes. So I'm expecting, you know, this kind of non-military support, just like what the United States did, advancing their interest, but using the weakness within state capabilities, using the lack of resources, using the different non-military threats that Papua New Guinea faces and saying we have the potential to assist you in these spaces. A new documentary on Rarotonga's mountains called Te Mika Mika o Te Pā Maunga will screen at the Mangare Arts Centre for Cook Islands Language Week. The filmmaker Liam Kokawa looked at five of Rarotonga's mountains, the legends surrounding the maunga, the environment, and what significance they had for Cook Islanders in the past. Caleb Fotheringham has the story. In 2019, Kanaka in Hawaii gathered on top of Mauna Kea, protesting the construction of the 1.4 billion 30-metre telescope. The protest inspired Liam Kokaua to make the documentary about his own ancestral mountains in Rarotonga. I was sort of like thinking, well, I wonder if our people would also stand up to protect our mountains if some company or corporation wanted to build on top of our mountains. It got me thinking that I feel like our people in Rarotonga don't really have a strong connection to the mountains anymore. Mr Kokaua says the mountains used to be important landmarks for respective tribes and they were used as areas for harvesting food. As each generation has passed, I also found that the stories and the connection to the mountains seems to have decreased. So a lot of the old people I talked to, you know, they used to spend a lot of time up in the mountains. The main settlements in Rarotonga used to be in the valleys instead of the coastal belt, where the majority of people now live. Nowadays, taro is generally grown on the coastal belt, but in the old times it was grown in these water-irrigated terraces that are only found up in the high elevations. They actually require a certain gradient to be able to flow the water into these terraces. So I feel like it's sort of sad that we've forgotten that strong connection. The documentary looks into the kororo or stories surrounding the mountains. Mr Kokooa sifted through manuscripts dating back two centuries and also spoke to some of the knowledge holders on the island. One of the people he spoke to was Master Carver Papa Michael Tavioni. The other mountains have their own stories, like every Pacific island, they have stories. Mr Tavioni says many of the mountain's names are descriptive terms. For example, the tallest mountain in Rarotonga called Temanga is named after a tree fork because of its double summit. Well-known hiking peak, Te Manga, or the Needle, is considered a tapu mountain by some because it's a place where compasses don't work. It just went round and round and round and round. doesn't stay in, in any position. There's a limited number of places on the earth where that happened. Gerald McCormack is a biologist who moved to the Cook Islands in 1980 as a science advisor for the Ministry of Education. Mr McCormack says the forest in the island's mountains is in almost pristine condition, with only the land snails being wiped out, which was probably from the introduction of ants. It's certainly the best forest I've seen on the 70 or more islands that I've been to in the South Pacific. And the reason for this is rather ironical. It's because 
when the Europeans arrived, they could not mill the timber. He says the most common tree on Rarotonga could not be milled because of how hard it was. Mr McCormack was also the author of now out-of-print book, Rarotonga's Mountains, Tracks and Plants. He wants to see school students walk up Te Roa Manga as part of the education, where they will be able to identify 80% of the tree species that are in the mountains. When businesses opt for outsourcing services such as call centres, the region of choice is often the Asian continent. But over the recent years, the Pacific region through Fiji is steadily becoming an attractive destination. To find out how this island nation has made such headways in the business processing operation industry and just how the Pacific can become a key player, Rachel Nath spoke with Outsource Fiji's Executive Director, Shagufta Janif. Welcome to Pacific Wake, Shagufta. Now let's talk about Fiji's successful business processing operation or the BPO industry. Could you tell us how Fiji has emerged as a prominent player in the um, in the industry? Thank you, Rachel. Bula, everyone. Yes, definitely. Um, so the industry in Fiji started off back in the year 2002 when ANZ set up its specific operations here. Then it quickly caught traction from other BPO operators from other com- countries to come in and set up in Fiji. And what led to this increased interest from Australian and uh, New Zealand businesses? I think one of the major advantages was and is uh, is our people skills and the ability uh, and the natural inherent customer service skills that they have. Um, and then other benefits so slowly started being realized, one of which is the shorter commute times between Australia and Fiji. So Fiji seemed like a near show and a very close option for them as well. And there's a lot of familiarity in terms of the culture, you know, our love for rugby. So there's a lot of familiarity and they're able to relate with the customers really well. That's one of the reasons. And then apart from just the call and contact center, it's had to grow into other areas such as finance and accounting, human resources, back office operations, to an extent now where, where, where we support services in terms of software development, IT services, um, other KPO type of roles as well, to an extent where an engineering firm out of Australia is outsourcing their engineering functions to Fiji. So the spectrum has grown rapidly and because of that, the industry has grown significantly through the years. What sort of investments have been made in the industry? Yep, I think there's a lot of work that the government has put into place, uh, including working with Outsource Fiji. So as an industry body, we have certain pillars, um, one of which is to market Fiji as an outsourcing destination, because of course, we are building traction with existing clients, but we also need to spread the word, market and promote Fiji as an outsourcing destination, because we are mainly known as a touristic destination. So uh, we have to sort of create a brand name. And that is why we launched Outsource Fiji, to, to create that brand awareness that Fiji is an outsourcing destination. Um, the second thing is, of course, the tax incentives that we have. So due to the tax incentives that the government has provided the, pro, uh, the BPO operators, they have been easily sort of come in and have been able to set up their operations here in Fiji and, of course, create employment for the people of Fiji. So, so I think the, a lot of work has been done on 
talent and education as well and as an outsourcing in, uh, as an industry body we have been doing a lot of work in that space too right now can we talk about education a new qualification has been launched we've recently launched a first i guess full time certification program through fiji national university which is a level 3 uh, certificate in context center operations um and this is the first qualification for the industry so from this we plan to build it on further to maybe a diploma level and a degree level and also work on other other areas of development that is required and and what does it take to become the the hub of the pacific yeah i think i think the inherent skills of uh, you know just the people skills the customer service skills and the talent pool is already there i guess what we what they need in terms of support is of course infrastructure um to ensure that the bpos are able to come in and set up and in terms of talent development but also policies as well because there is something if the government is supportive of the industry then i feel that the industry has a lot a springboard essentially to to grow significantly right so there are some checks and balances in place okay now let's wrap up here with ai's influence on the industry what impacts does it have if any so far yep so i think it works greatly for us and the pacific islands as as a whole because definitely we can't compete with the we can't compete with the the larger destination in terms of volumes so what we can do is incorporate ai into our business operations to still offer capabilities but reduce the requirement for the x amount of number of people that's specific ways for today don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com/programs we're also on apple spotify and iheart radio podcasts from myself and the team here at rnz pacific Talk fast with four.